today's audio podcast from the Church at Bushland. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of the Church at Bushland and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at thechurchatbushland.com or download our app by searching for The Church at Bushland in your app store. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at thechurchatbushland.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so in our app or by visiting thechurchatbushland.com slash give. Well, welcome to another episode of Digging for the Truth. I am Trent Taylor, your host. And tonight we're going to be talking about the rise of the Antichrist and all of the things that that entails. So as we get into this tonight, I want to kind of go ahead and preface a few things. We're going to talk about whether the Antichrist is a real person or if it's a symbolic you know, gesture of some things. We're going to get really kind of into the scripture. We're going to be going over a lot of scripture. So you're going to want to get uh, your, your pen. If you're keeping notes, you're going to want to get a pencil and pad because a lot of this I want you to look up for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Go do your own research. And decide what you believe. Because let me tell you something. The Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. And it's important you believe that before we get started tonight. Even if you don't, we're going to make a believer out of you as part of this as we just go through some of this tonight. So with that being said, I wanted to start with some of the things that get on my nerves. Which, okay, if you know me, that could be a lot of things. All right, I got you. All right. Um, Bad drivers, politicians, okay, the the list is long. Um, But the one thing that I wanted to talk about is some of the false teachings going on, especially inside of churches that call themselves evangelical church or evangelical uh, churches. And so this is going to, I'm going to hit on a couple of topics, but the very first thing that we're going to get into is whether uh, the Antichrist is a real person. But before we can do that, we also have to understand that the tribulation is a real time. It is going to be a time, the worst time in human history. You will not want to be here for this. And so we're going to touch tonight on pre-tribulation, rapture. We're not going to spend much time on it tonight, but I'm going to talk about some other things all around this that begin to set us up for having a discussion in future uh, podcasts about um, the rapture and, and pre, being a, a premillennial uh, rapture believer. With that being said, um, I will say this. Whatever your take is on the rapture, that does not affect your salvation at all. So before we get to any of this, sometimes people get really crazy about, well, if, you're, if, you're, if you don't believe in the rapture, if you do believe in the rapture, if you believe in the rapture a certain way, then you know it affects your salvation. And all that's a lie. It doesn't, okay? And none of that affects your salvation. It's, it's just called eschatology. Now, there are some things and teachings in regards to eschatology that I believe are being extremely misused and are misleading believers. Um, and of course, you know, the converse, think about the conversation of, of grace, you know, and how grace is mistaught and misrepresented, um, within the church and outside of the church, um, in regards to, you know, God and, uh, and living a holy and righteous life. Same kind of thing in regards to when we're talking about just some of the pieces, and we're going to go ahead and start with this, but the Antichrist is a person. It's not a symbol. It's not a symbol for a season or a period of things going on. So there's three different some of the more popular, um, you know, belief systems in regards to eschatology that I thought I would touch on. The first one being post-millennialism. So post-millennialism is basically a view, an interpretation of Revelation 20, that we will 
not ever, we, we, we as humans will not actually live on earth with Christ during the thousand year reign. So essentially, here comes this whole period, and it's, we're going to have a millennium where it's the golden age of Christianity. And then at the end of that thousand year reign, then Jesus will come and you know, set up the kingdom era, eternal era, and so forth. And there's a lot of flaws in this theology. Um, first of all, especially if you if you look in Second uh, Thessalonians one, we're going to actually touch and read this whole passage uh, later in the podcast. But in Second Thessalonians uh, two, beginning in verse one, it starts talking about the apostasy of the church. There will be a great falling away. In fact, I have it right here. So if we begin to look at this, and it says in beginning in verse three, it says, "Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. The men of sin is revealed, and the son of perdition." who is the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped. So this is a person, you can already see that we're talking about a physical person, but in regards to post-millennialism, we are going to, to I believe, be taken uh, before the tribulation happens. Now there's conversation around, okay, well, what is the trigger of that and so forth? Well, I have opinions and Bible says quite a few things and, and, and I, I'll share that at a later time. Um, but in this particular belief, there's, there's some serious flaws. First of all, if you look at the, if you just read Revelation. So remember, we're going, we're, I've taught on this before. I've actually taught, taught on the apostasy of the church. So I'm not going to get too deep on that. If you look around, you see a great falling away right now as we speak, right? There are people leaving the church left and right. There are people going and quote unquote deconstructing their faith, which is the silliest, dumbest thing ever. Um, and I, I have a lot of compassion, and I'm, I feel you know a lot of uh, empathy for these people because they have never truly encountered Christ. They've encountered false, you know, in, interpretations for the most part, I believe, in, in those scenarios. So let's talk about amillennialism. So amillennialism is another teaching that is happening even right here inside of churches in Amarillo, Texas, and all around the world, and it's another false teaching. Now this one really gets under my skin. Okay, so I can have a reasonable conversation with a post-millennialist, and I believe that by the end of the conversation, you know, we can, you know, get up from the table, walk away, and, you know, it's not really going to affect our relationship much, um, even though I strongly disagree with it. But number on the all-millennialist, to me, this is basically heretical um, in some of the teachings that, that are in it. And this is what is leading many people, I think, away from the church. This in preterism, which is the one we're going to talk about next. And the reason is, is because it, it, it eliminates hope. Because if you understand what these are, which I'm about to explain, then it removes hope in your life. Because if you think, well, let's, let's talk about what amillennialism is. The, the amillennial, amillennial view is that we are presently in the quote-unquote thousand-year reign. The thousand-year reign is symbolic, okay? It does not actually mean a literal thousand years, and this is a big problem. The Bible, when you, there, yes, there are symbolic things in the scripture. There's no question. Jesus uses parables. He teaches, but he's also very specific. Remember, he even told his disciples, I will no longer speak to you in parables. I will speak to you as a friend, and I will tell you exactly what's coming. One great chapter in regards to the times that we live in and what's going on is Matthew 24. Matthew 24, Jesus himself is telling us about what the age will look like. Um, whenever the tribulation is in the center of perdition will be revealed in, in this whole se season. We're going to talk a little bit about a few passages of that tonight. But the amillennialist view, they believe that whenever Christ was resurrected, that's when, you know, basically, you know, the, the thousand-year reign began. 
Well, if you know anything about this scripture during the thousand-year reign, we know that, first of all, we will be reigning here with Christ. Second, Satan will not be here on the earth. He will be cast back, not into the lake of fire yet. That, okay, that comes later. He will be cast to the abyss, okay? The places where Abaddon or Apollyon, the, the fallen angels of Genesis 6-4 are currently locked up and will be released during the tribulation. Okay, there, there's, but there's going to be on the earth, there are two types of humans, those with resurrected bodies. Okay, again, we have to teach on pre-tribulation on that one. And those who have lived through the tribulation, we know for a fact the scripture says that the 144,000 in Revelation, that's 144,000 uh, Jews or Israelis, okay, who are going to become the evangelists on the earth at that time. So there is another big big heretical point that bothers me is that um, they are, through this process, they believe that the church is the eschatological fulfillment of Israel. Okay, This is called replacement theology. And it, this is the part to me that, that is, is heretical. Because it's saying that it's replacing the covenant that God made with Abraham and the, in, in Israel, right? Jacob. The, okay, so the covenant he made with, uh, with Abraham, it is, he, God never breaks a covenant. That covenant is still in place. And so for this theology, you don't have to have Israel coming back as a nation in, in, a, in a single, well, in this case, a single, right? It's in 1948, a single day. You don't have to have them come back from antiquity. They say that we now are the replacement covenant, and that's not true. Okay, I've taught on this in uh, previous podcasts. Go back and see the one with Courtney Crowley and I as we discuss some of the things in regards to Israel. Preterism. Okay, this one is, is crazy. I actually, the very first time I really, I didn't know what it was called, but the first time I ever heard this, I was at, uh, I was at lunch at United. Uh, years ago, we used to, they, they may still have it there, but it's just a, a salad bar and some things. And there was a, a group of men that I would go sit with. One of these men used to be actually literally a, a rocket scientist for NASA. Um, during the Cold War, um, he went just with a slide rule. He was a brilliant man. Just with a slide rule, he had recalculated where there were, he believed that there was an error um, with some of the tra trajectories of these nuclear missiles. And they said, well, no, we have the biggest computers in the world. They can't be wrong. And he took in all his calculations that he had just done with a slide rule. Turns out he was right. This man was brilliant. Okay. But when it came to, and so when he retired, I mean, he was a believer and he liked, loved eschatology and so forth. Now, you understand this would have been the early 2000s. The world was a very different place, um, but he was completely way off on all his theology. He used Matthew 24, which we all should as a reference point, but what they believe was he was a preterist. That's the first time I ever encountered a preterist. He believed that uh, the fulfillment of the church, okay, everything was fulfilled in 70 AD, that Satan and uh, the, the uh, false prophet, sorry, the, so, yeah, Satan and the false prophet, the Antichrist, they were cast into the lake of fire. All of these things had already happened. Well, if that was the case, even when I was sitting there uh, as a young man listening, I was like, well, first of all, there's so many things that I didn't know about Scripture, but I knew that there would be a one-world government. I was like, well, where was that? And he tried to say, well, that was Rome. But I said, that's not what the Bible says. What about the mark of the beast? There was no answer for the mark of the beast. Well, who was the Antichrist? Well, we can't tell you exactly. Let me tell you, you will know exactly who the Antichrist is. Some of them would point to Nero and some stuff like that. But And, and there's a whole other belief system behind Nero who is still alive and is going to come back it's it gets really weird um so there the other problem is that the preterists they throw out about a third of the uh, of biblical prophecy so this is another really big problem they too also believe in and teach on replacement theology well here's the problem with all that again replacement theology is heretical 
But all of these groups, especially the amillennialist, okay, and the preterist, they view the following terms as a one-world government, okay, which will soon be defeated by the growing power or influence of the church, or has been if you're a preterist, right? So, man of sin, so these are all terms and names for the Antichrist, right? Man of sin, little horn, son of perdition, the Antichrist, all of those, they were, they, they were referring to say that's just a one-world government, and it's the Christians who really are going to be the ones who bring them down. I have bad news for you. That's, that's not what any of those are. Jesus himself, okay, spoke of who this person was. We're going to talk about that more here in a minute. But here's one really key important, important thing to think about. All of those, their theology requires them to do this since their eschatology eliminates the, a regathered Israel to whom the Antichrist presents himself as the true Messiah. Okay, think of this. So Jesus uh, references this. And, and also we see it's the book of Daniel. He, in fact, he references the prophet Daniel. We're going to get into that here in a second. But when Daniel sees the vision in, in the three and a half year mark of the tribulation, the Antichrist who had brought peace, okay, and we're going to talk about how he does this, but he goes and he stands in the rebuilt temple and he declares himself God. And from this point, I mean, it's, it's already really bad up to this point, okay, but from this point, it gets really, really bad. So Jesus denotes Antichrist as an individual, if you go to, I'm going to actually, I do have some scriptures. There's a lot of scripture that I have, but I'm only going to pop up four on the screen tonight. So I, in Jesus in John 5, 43, he says, I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you'll receive. And he's speaking of the Antichrist in this particular passage. We're going to see another reference to this later. So that's exactly what happened. Think of what the world did. The world rejected him. In fact, here's an interesting thing. If, if you're not familiar with the forbidden chapter in Isaiah, it's Isaiah 53. You should go read Isaiah 53 this week. It's amazing. In fact, I might do a whole podcast on that one chapter. It's called the forbidden chapter because when you read this, and we know that this was written 700 years before Jesus came and died on the cross. And you read it and say, you know, this, you, we say by his stripes we are healed. Well, that's on Isaiah 53. It's, I mean, it's incredible the, 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 just how God revealed him, 700, Jesus, what he was going to do and what he was going to go through 700 years um, before it actually happened. But there's, there's so much scripture that tells us in, in, that, about who Jesus was, okay, how he came, and then also these timelines. Daniel is another one of those, okay, where we look at it, and it was incredible, the revelation that God gave Daniel about the times that we live in now. So there's going to be an abomination. So what is the abomination? Well, first of all, anyone or any theology that discounts Israel's importance, okay, uh, in latter days is, in my opinion, is flying in the very face of Jesus' very own words. Jesus himself references the book of Daniel as the abomination of desolation. In Matthew 24, 15 through 16, it says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the, uh, Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. What he's saying, and then he goes on to explain, uh, and we'll actually look at that scripture in, in Daniel uh, here in a minute, but it's, it's very specific after that. You ought to go read uh, Daniel 12, 11, and 12, and, and actually keep going because these are actions of a man. A symbol does not go stand in a temple. Well, neither, neither is a, a temple being rebuilt a symbol. Okay, These are all real events. And 
let's say that I was giving this podcast in 1945. The world was very different, okay? Think about World War II was coming to a head. Um, the, the, the evil that was in the world, I mean, many people back then thought that they probably were. They did, okay, believe that this was, you know, because talking about, you know, wars and rumors of wars and birth pangs. Living through that time, many people thought, hey, this is it. I know that my great-grandmothers, they always did, like, this is it. Where's the end, you know? And, and from their lifetime, okay, the things that they saw, especially from their early childhood, the world had come off the rails. I mean, of course, they'd gone, you know, World War I. They lived through World War I and World War II. And so they, they believed, okay, well, look at all the wars going on. It's got to be close. Well, there's one thing that hadn't happened yet. 1940, you know, if I, if in 1945, I'm giving this podcast, Israel didn't exist as a nation. That is incredibly important. It changes, it, it validates scripture. Why does it validate scripture? Well, I was talking about the forbidden chapter, okay, who Jesus was, all the prophecy of Daniel, and what was going to happen in regards to the abomination of desolation and the temple being rebuilt. It speaks of it in Revelation. We knew that it, so the second temple was destroyed in AD 70, right? The world, okay, in 1948, came together, and Israel became a nation in a single day. Again, great podcast that I have with Courtney Crowley. If you haven't heard the one on Israel, the most recent one, you ought to go back and, uh, and check it out. So, Daniel, so he, this, this is a person that we're talking about. The Antichrist is a person. Not only that, we know that when he comes on to the scene, that he will be a very skilled orator. Jesus was the best speaker in history. There's no question, Right. We know that Jesus was the best speaker in history. However, when Satan comes onto the scene, he is going to have solutions and answers to all these things that are plaguing the world. And he's going to do it beginning. And I have some really, really neat little thing that I, I ran across as I was studying this. I just, because I like to look at the Greek, right? And I also like to look at the Hebrew. But I'm going to do a little, I'm going to kind of explain what the Septuagint is. I use the Septuagint for my research on this podcast. And I'm going to show you something really neat here in a minute. And it'll make more sense, but it's important. So here's the things going on in Scripture. Uh, when you look at Daniel 7, beginning in verse 7, After this I saw the, uh, in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now, here's an interesting thing. I don't want to get too far out in the weeds on this, but this is actually a, a rest, you know, basically a restoration of the Roman Empire to some effect. And if you look at some of the things going on in regards to the global elites in Europe and the power taken from the sick, twisted World Economic Forum, you know, Klaus Schwab and the Bill Gates of the world, and just you can you can begin to see some pieces of that. But I want to keep going. This is the part that I want to focus on. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots, okay? And there, in his horn, were eyes like the eyes of a man. Again, this is a man, but though it's like a man, this is in a mouth speaking pompous words. So we're talking about the Antichrist, who is, who is absolutely, you know, influenced, possessed by Satan himself. But I want to focus on something here that's kind of interesting. So let's go right back to the end of verse 7. And it, says, and it had ten horns. These are ten regions, 10 governors, 10, let's call them, you know, minor kings that are going to be placed around the world, around the world. And then it keeps going and says, and I was considering those horns. He was trying to see, well, what are those horns? And there was another horn, a little one coming up among them. 
That is the Antichrist. I want to show something. I don't, again, I, I don't want to get too far off in the weeds, but this is interesting. I want to show you some stuff in regards to the modern world, what's going on, and how when we talk about the Antichrist being a real person, how all these things begin to line up with Scripture. So let's begin with this article right here, okay? Have you ever heard of Agenda 21? Okay, this was, I'm going to just show you here, okay? I'm going to see if I can zoom in a little bit. But, okay, in Agenda 21, was the old name for Agenda 2030 that has been adopted both by the UN and by the World Economic Forum. We're going to actually go through a couple of things. So this is the old name, of, but it says the UN, this is an article in 2011, okay, um, but the UN divides the world into 10 regional groupings. Agenda 21, uh, this global contract binds governments around the world to the UN plan for changing the way we live, eat, learn, and communicate. Does, this, does any of this sound familiar? Well, this is Agenda 21. I remember when Glenn, Book, uh, Glenn Beck actually wrote a book uh, called Agenda, Agenda 21. I think it must have probably come out in 2010, 2011. I can't remember exactly. But instead of just this one thing, so this is an old article. I thought, hey, let's go directly to the source. So I'm not pulling from uh, a saved off article. I want you to actually see on their own website, okay? So if you look here, Okay, this is the UN's website. If you look, this is the regions, and it's called, it's called SDG Indicators, Sustainable, Sustainable Development Goals. Here's an interesting thing. I actually almost brought this on before. You see this little pendant? These are the 30 sustainable goals. You know, the, or the, the, the these are, these are as a, as a, a marker for world sustainability. And they actually have pins. In fact, if you wear these now, I, I call it the new Nazi symbol. Um, if you, but that's to show that you're supporting the World Economic Forum and the UN. The UN and the World Economic Forum are, are connected at the hip. I want to show you another article that is here um, in regards to, this is the World Economic Forum themselves. Um, and on this, they, and it's like, what if we get things right? Visions for 2030. So, I, the only reason I'm showing you these things is because they line up with the Antichrist being a person, how this person is going to come onto the stage, and so forth. Okay, so we're winning the fight against climate change. Yeah, I mean, with, I'm going to just pick a few of these, cutting crime in half. It's insane. Crime is through the roof. Um, okay, notice empowering 8 billion minds with mobile technology. Clean air is human, right? Uh, this is funny. Uh, we build a fair and democratic gig economy. Democratic, let me tell you, capitalism isn't, you know, is not something that they called. What they totally always misrepresent Democrats saying, hey, because that's supposed to be for the people, right? No, either you do what they say or you don't get uh, you don't get to work. But here's one that I thought was interesting. So there's a new platform for peace in the Middle East. This will be one of the markers that the Antichrist will absolutely use. He's going to use all these others too. And it's going to be on both sides of the fence, meaning he's going to appease people like who would seemingly be me and probably you if you're listening to this podcast – as well as the other side, the climate crazies and so forth. Okay. So, let's, but here's some interesting ones through here. Um, you know, yeah, we're going to take away your cars. I get it. Virtual reality protect our mental health. Well, first of all, I'm just going to say this. If you, as a technology person, I'm in technology. If you don't know what I do for a living, I have a software company. If your children or you have gotten into meta or any of these virtual reality environments, it's the opposite of this. Okay. Generally, whatever they tell you it's going to do, it's going to probably do the opposite, right? So the virtual reality stuff, it will absolutely destroy and, and drag your mind, and especially your children. Young, the younger the mind, the worse it is, um, and it's being used as a proselytization tool. Um, circular economy, 
that's a, another word for um, uh, public-private partnerships. There's there's just all kinds of stuff. So all these different things that they that the World Economic Forum is saying that they're going to fix this and uh, how to overhaul our economy. A lot of this is economy, right? Well, that's one of the four horses is that you know, the black horse is actually just that, the crash of the economic system. So with that being said, okay, he's going to come on. So the answer, quote-unquote, from the Antichrist or the lie is, you know, uh, and especially for those who aren't believers, and many of those who are believers. And so this is a question that, well, will we be here for the Antichrist? We're going to talk more about that at the end. But let's, let's say that, you know, uh, I, I believe that the Antichrist is alive and well now. And if nothing else, I believe that the Antichrist, sorry, that the Satan always has an Antichrist ready to take action. I've heard that said several times, but I think that was not necessarily true all throughout history because Israel had not been reconstituted as a nation. So there was no way for the temple and so forth to be rebuilt. But now, I think absolutely. So there's going to be a lot of people, and he's going to seem like he's the defender of our liberties, liberties and that we might get to live a normal life again because as we all feel it, I mean, you, anxiety and, and anxiety medications are absolutely through the roof. Um, you know, I've, I've talked about it on previous podcasts, but millennials, um, and Gen Z, 78% of the, the pop, young population are on some type of anxiety medication. This is stuff you can go look up yourself. It's only getting worse. Well, why? Because people are losing hope. If you believe if, first of all, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you don't have, you know, you're not grounded in the Bible, you don't know what the truth of, of what's coming, or you do go to church and you have been taught this amillennial or this preterist type of thinking, there's no hope. Like, oh, well, you mean Jesus has already come or we're living in the, supposed to be the golden age, quote unquote, a perfect world where there's no sin and Jesus is reigning. And that's right now, because you look around and there's nothing but death, destruction, you know, injustice, you know, it's, and so of course there's no hope because all that's a lie. So we have to get the, we have to help believers get focused back to truly reading and studying the word, knowing what God says about who the Antichrist is, what his plan is for this time, and who, what, more importantly, what his plan is for us. Well, when he comes onto the stage, world dysfunction and disasters will be his opening. But here's something that, that I thought was kind of interesting as I was doing my research. I believe, and that this, okay, for what I'm about to say in this next segment, is just the word according to Trent. It's something I found, okay, and I am going to just show you what I found. And I just think it's, but but you look at the world and this agenda that's currently in place, and I absolutely see how the, the, the Antichrist would use this. And I believe that the Antichrist is going to use the LGBT movement and so forth as part of his major agenda. And I'd never quite noticed this before. <clears throat> but as I was going through this, um, this kind of came up, and I thought it was interesting. So when you look at Revelation 6, 1 through 2, it says, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. So this is the first seal, by the way, the, the white horse. Opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow. That's a very That's what we're going to focus for a minute. He had a bow and a crown, and we're going to focus on that too, was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So here's the interesting thing about that word bow. In the Greek, it's the word toxin, T-O-X-O-N, not I-N, but T-O-X-O-N. And it is where we get the root of the word poison or toxin, which I think is ironic because because I believe, well, before I, I, I give that, that 
parallel. So in the Greek Septuagint, there's another place that this same word is used. So what is the Septuagint <laughs> before I go any further? If that's a word that you've never heard in the Greek Septuagint, what it is, it is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. So where this came from, it was dated around, you know, the time of Ptolemy II, Philadelphus, I think was his name. And so it was 285 to 246 BC. And he, um, and the word Septuagint is actually just Latin for 70. Well, where the 70 came from is that there was this letter called the letter of Aristeus. And there was, in that letter it says there were 72 translators that were on uh, the project of the Septuagint. Well, the letter tells how King Ptolemy II commissioned the, the, the royal librarian, Demetrius of Phaleron, to collect by purchase or by copying all the books in the world. He wrote a letter to Eleazar, the high priest, okay, at Jerusalem, requesting six elders of each of the tribes. And in total, that's 72 men of exemplary life and learned in the Torah to translate it into Greek. So these were actually... You know, extremely, um, their entire life, they had been students of the Torah, uh, students basically even probably of, of Greek, you know, and so they would have known both languages, you know, uh, I'm sure close to equally as well. I'm sure that obviously Hebrew was their, was their primary language, but they were, their entire life were trained in these languages. So that's what the Septuagint is. And so why even go to the Septuagint? Well, okay, so let's have a quick Bible lesson, Old Testament's written in Hebrew, right? New Testament, Greek. Well, what happens when I want to compare a word in Greek to Greek? Okay, for example, one time I was trying to figure out different types of wine and, you know, the intoxicating wine versus the non-intoxicating wine. Well, I was like, how do I know that Noah over here was drunk? How do I compare that word to the water that Jesus turned into wine? Well, the way I did that is the first time I ever used the Septuagint. It was many years ago. And it's actually where I learned about it, and that's where I was able to take Greek to Greek. Now, do we build, you know, all our faith on this? No, but I will say that um, the Septuagint is extremely accurate and sometimes gives you a lot more insight as to what is going on. Okay, now that I've said all that, I want to show you this scripture. Genesis 9, 16. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all the flesh that is on the earth. So why would I even bring that particular scripture up? Glad you asked. Okay. In Genesis 9.16, when you look at the Septuagint, the word toxin, okay, in Greek, rainbow, you can see what it looks like there. Am I a Greek historian? No, I am not. But I tell you what, that's the beauty of the current age that we live in. I can go and work my way back into this, and I can see exactly what the word toxin is in regards to Greek. Okay, so Genesis 9.16. Well, what is Genesis 9.16? Again, I'm going to go ahead and read this. The rainbow shall be in the cloud. So the second word, you know, in English, okay, you can see it right there, toxon there. Let's go to Revelation 6.2, the Greek. Let's go back. I'm going to read this to you. It says, And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow. Notice that that is the same word. I'm going to go back and forth. Just look at the red. Those are the exact same words. Boom, that blew my mind when I saw that. So you have, and first of all, and here's another thing. 
I've always heard it taught, and, and I don't think it's wrong, but, you know, why it says they came with a bow, but he had no arrows. Well, so most of the teachings I've heard in the past and throughout, and I was like, oh, yeah, it makes sense, was that, well, the reason there's no arrows is because he's going to first bring peace uh, to the world. Well, I, that's true, but also toxin being the root word of toxic, right? So what is more toxic than anything in the world, in my opinion, in society right now? It's the LGBT whatever movement, okay? All this trans stuff that there's no such thing as men and women. And, I mean, that's insanity, right? Well, I believe that he will use part of that movement to gain at least a large segment of the population. And somehow, through this process, also appeal to the people like me who believe that, well, there is only two genders, okay, male and female, and that, you know, and, 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 God, and God designed marriage between one man and one woman. Period. And so I, 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 he's going to, I believe this is going to be part of his campaign. Well, here's the next part of that, if you keep going. And it's the word crown. And it says, and a crown was given to him. Well, that word crown is Stephanos. Stephanos, if you look at the Greek, in Greek it's Stephanos. And so it means a crown, a mark of royal or, in general, exalted rank. But it says, the wreath or garland which was given as a prize to victors in public games. He's going to end up being the hero of the world. Everybody's going to be looking at this guy. He's going to win a contest. There's going to be other people, I think, vying uh, for and jockeying for power. But he, there's no nobody's going to be able to compete with this guy. And I guarantee you, he's going to be like Putin and kill all of his rivals anyway. But nobody else will know about it because he's a lot smarter than Putin. All right. And so when you look at this, it'll also come with the mark of the beast. So the mark of the beast. Again, I don't want to get too deep into it, and I'm running out of time. But what's interesting is when you go and you revel when it says that you will have a mark on your right hand or on your forehead if you'll go read the new king james version the word on actually says in makes a lot more sense doesn't it think about the technology that exists from subcutaneous you know rfid tags to um all, any kind of chip right there's even technology out there in regards to laser tattoos that can store data that would be invisible so there's it's just interesting there's so i just thought that's an interesting point but this will be implemented at this time and from this, okay, we'll also uh, uh, rise a, a group of believers. So I'm going to go to Revelation 7, beginning of verse 13. I don't have it on the screen at this point. But then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? So again, this is during the tribulation. And there's going to be people that have white robes. And it says, And where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, <clears throat> These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I will go ahead and say this, that during the tribulation, there's not going to be any atheists. I mean, when you begin, these seals begin to break, I mean, everybody will, it, there's no denying it anymore. In fact, the, the, as you get into this, the breaking of the seals and the bold judgments, the world population knows this is God. Um, and they know which God it is. But yet they will still have to make a choice. And the majority of the world is going to choose the false god, okay, the Antichrist. If you take the, the mark of the beast, there is no salvation for you. you it's over. You can't. That, that's it. That is an abomination in the eyes of God. You cannot come back from that one. There will be no salvation to anybody who takes that mark. But yet there will be a group of believers, as we see, and I spoke of the 144,000 a little while ago, who were going, there's going to be millions and millions and millions of people come to Christ during the tribulation. And the vast majority of them will be beheaded. They will be killed because they choose Jesus during this time. 
you know, so the next part of this is really the lie. You know, and and so I'm going to. This is the big section that I really want to. to, to it's such it's so much scripture. I just it just fill up the screen. I'm going to go ahead and read it. And but it's going to be in Second Thessalonians. I read a part of it a while ago. Second Thessalonians chapter two, beginning in verse three. So we need to understand the lie that is going to be spread. All right. So let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that it sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? This is important because he's actually saying people are already starting to move away from this theology. We're going to talk about Gnosticism here in a minute. And, and that's really the big lie that, the, the, that Satan and the Antichrist have to spin and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of the lawless uh, is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Those are both capital H's, capital he's, and that he is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us. This is a pre-tribulation passage in Scripture. If you have a relationship with God, if you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior, then you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of you. He lives inside of you. God is with you. Okay? Emmanuel, right? God with us. Holy Spirit is with us. So when we talk about a pre-tribulation theology, in other words, us, God having to remove us before all these things, the son of perdition and the tribulation being kicked into full effect, we have got to be removed. This is a great, one of the great scriptures in regards to looking at that. But he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. So see what happened. Two things happen there. And this actually answers a question that we're going to talk about later. The, the Holy Spirit, okay, the restrainer is removed. Now, that doesn't mean he leaves the earth. We will. Okay, we've got to be taken out of it. Holy Spirit will stay because there's going to be many people come to Christ. Um, but he will be taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed. So that says that the Antichrist will be revealed after the church is removed okay, from the earth. That is pre-tribulation uh, theology. When, uh, whom the Lord will consume with the breath uh, of his mouth and destroy the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according <clears throat> to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. This is an important passage right here. That God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. That they all may be con condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure and unrighteousness. There's another place in Scripture that talks about this. It's that God gave them way to a debased mind. If you go read Romans, first chapter of Romans really is talking about what's going on, and it, ha it looks as a debauchery. Uh, they were a very, <clears throat> a very hedonistic society. Um, homosexuality then, too, was rampant. And there, it was just, it was, and they, it says that men, you know, gave over natural, uh, you know, uh, natural encounters for unnatural ones, women, same thing. But what this is saying here is that he'll give them over to delus a delusional mind is that, Again, I told you a minute ago that there will be no atheists at this time. So it's not like God's being mean to these people and say, well, because you didn't pick me. Well, they, he, he, is, he is so slow to anger. Think of this, that whenever God sent Jonah 
to Nineveh, okay, the Assyrians, which arguably are one of the most, one of the nastiest historical societies in, in all civilization. They were horrible, the things that they did. But God sent Jonah, and, and we know the story of Jonah. All right. And ironically, as a little side note, did you know that Jonah is also the only prophet in Old Testament that never talked about the end times? Little side note. Um, in one way or another. But anyway, whenever he went to Nineveh, they repented. And so God stayed his hand for another 150 years. But you look at Nahum, okay, that whole chapter, that whole book, there's three chapters there. It's quick, you got to go read it. It's like, well, God gave you this chance. 150 years ago, Jonah came, and y'all are so stupid that you chose to go back to your evil ways and the way that you committed war. And it talks specifically about their war tactics. I'll tell you how bad they were. They would take spikes and they would take babies of their enemies and stick them on spikes, dip them in tar, light them on fire, and they would light the streets that way. I mean, these were evil people. So think about how evil they are. You don't think God's not going to give all of us a much better chance first to come to Christ? So when they give, they're given over to delusional mind, they've had every opportunity. But they will hate God. They know, well, they'll still know who God is. They're like, all right, you want to believe the lie? There's, go for it. I will no longer, because the restrainer's been removed. So one of the ways that he will present the lie is he will talk about, essentially, he won't use these phrases, but this is what it is. It's Gnosticism. If you go to 1, 2, 3, John, <clears throat> so he was addressing the church because they were beginning to believe in Gnosticism, and that was what was being preached. And here's what Gnosticism is, is that anything physical is evil, anything spiritual is holy, so they say that Jesus could not have come in the physical because he is holy. Well, that right there is one of the biggest lies that continues to be spread in false religions around the world, including Islam. You know, Jesus came in the flesh. And why is that important? You know, one of the things, I have some, some dear friends, you know, we've been talking about it lately, but we don't talk about the blood enough or sing about the blood enough, the blood of Jesus Christ. He shed his blood, not just on that cross, okay? It was on that cross. It's all the way up to that cross. He was beat with a cat of nine tails. He was, his ribs ripped out of his sides. I mean, the things that he went through. So you, I mean, think of this. This is the sovereign creator of the universe, and he's going through this horrible, horrible thing for you. He submitted himself, and he could have destroyed it all. So why did he do it? It's because his, his capacity of love is something that we can never fully comprehend. He loves us so much that he did every bit of that on that cross, thinking of you. Insert your name right now, whatever your name is. He's thinking of you. And he want, that's, that's, that was the whole point. And so Gnosticism negates every bit of that. It says that, you know, it's not important that, you know, the blood of Jesus was shed. Well, that's a lie. And so there's something else that I don't want to put too many bad ideas in your head. But even now there's these Indian gurus and stuff like that that are going around. Jesus said that there will be false messiahs in that time. Many false messiahs. And so... When can you say, now we see false prophets all the time. I'd even go ahead and say that, you know, people like Andy Stanley, some of those have become so weak and they've become false prophets because they're promoting, you know, sexual sin. And they're promoting, you know, that we as believers shouldn't be involved with the political environment. That's all a lie. Politics, it's all interesting. You know, think about, think about how many things that we believe in uh, are controlled, restricted, or affected by politics, Right. Well, there's these gurus, Indian gurus, that actually also call themselves, I'm not, I don't want to give you their, some of their names. Uh, you don't want to go look, I don't want you to go look it up. 
if you want to go look it up, you can go, you can find it easy enough, but they, they said that they are possessed by the Christ spirit and that they are the Messiah. And it's insanity. I mean, it's absolute insanity. And some of these things, until I'd done some research on this recently, I, I didn't, I was like, well, where are all the false messiahs? I mean, I see all the false prophets. Well, I didn't believe it. There, there really are a bunch of them calling themselves the Messiah as we speak, including in Orthodox haptic uh, Jews circles in Israel. That's a, maybe a topic for another day. So I didn't say all this, and this po- podcast wasn't to uh, discourage you, rather it's to encourage you. So before we close, let me just answer a few questions. He came on that cross. <clears throat> Everything I just taught tonight, he came on the cross. He was physical. He died on that cross. The Antichrist is a real person. He's going to come and try to be the, uh, what the Antichrist is, against Christ, the false Christ, right? And so Jesus, you know, he's, he's the sovereign creator of the universe. God raised him from the dead. We are saved. I, I've touched on it several times tonight throughout the podcast that I am absolutely a pre-tribulation person, that we will be taken in the rapture before all of this comes to fruition. And so just be at peace. Live your life. Invest in the stock market if that's what you feel like you need to do. Whatever you're doing, plan for your future. Don't let all of this control you. And in fact, it should give you hope. When all the millennialists and these other people are, and preterists are, are, are depressed and have no hope, well, they, they are believing lies. And we know the truth, that this Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. So with that, let me just answer a couple of questions. Um, number one, as a believer, will we know who the Antichrist is when he comes on the stage, as I mentioned a little while ago in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, <clears throat> that I believe that uh, we will be taken. Now, we probably have seen him, in my opinion. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but I do not believe that we will be here or know who the Antichrist is. And so there's really no point in us trying to figure out who it is. Can I point to some people who are Antichrists? Uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, man. I can point some of those out. Maybe I'll do a podcast on one of those. They're definitely part of the agenda and plan, but they're not the Antichrist. Um, that, per- that person, he will be... Very, very cunning, an incredible order. It'll be brilliant. Um, will the Antichrist come from another religion or cult in the world? Well, no, because if you'll think about it, I don't believe that that's the case. And I, and here's the the scripture that I point to is that he stands in the temple in Daniel, is the abomination of desolation, is proclaiming himself to be God. So he will be here, the false prophet will be saying, look at him, he is God. Okay, that's why they call him the false prophet. He's going before and testifying, saying this person is God. So he couldn't he very well come from any other religion, you know, and say, well, I denounce that one. Now I am God. You know, I realized, you see, so you kind of see the, so I do not believe that, uh, that he will come from another religion. Uh, what is the unholy trinity? Well, the unholy trinity is the, Satan, the Antichrist, uh, and the false prophet. In Revelation 13, 11 through 12, it says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercised all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. So we can see that there is a trinity there between Satan, the false prophet, and the Antichrist. Number four, the last question is, will there be Christians on earth during the tribulation? As I've mentioned several times throughout the podcast tonight, I believe that there are going to be millions of people saved during this period called the tribulation. And I believe that we, the church now, will be removed from the earth and the, the rapture, the rapturo, the harpazo, 
Okay, we will be taken, and we'll be taken before all of these things come to pass as it relates to the tribulation. But there will be many, 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 many millions of new believers. And there's some neat things I can't wait to share with you about why I believe this. And the exciting part of all of this is that we and those believers will get to reign with Christ on earth for a thousand years during the thousand year reign, which comes after the tribulation and Satan and the false prophet and the Antichrist are cast into the lake of fire. All right. It's going to be a beautiful time. And then there's going to be this battling and, and, and Satan will be destroyed. That's when Satan will be cast into the lake of fire is at the end of the thousand year uh, reign. Before that, they'll be actually cast into or Satan will be, actually be held in, in the abyss. But then after that, there's a new earth and a new Jerusalem and eternity in this beautiful, perfect world. But the thing is, is that all these wonderful things that are about to come are close. So just keep the faith. Keep the faith and know that God is with you. And I can't wait to see you on the next one. Thanks for joining us. If you've enjoyed this, subscribe or share with somebody else. But thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you on the next one. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast from the Church of Bushland. We hope you will stay connected by following the ministry on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram by using the Church of Bushland. We are all about people because God is all about people. We exist to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. 